You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I am Jesper and this is episode 47 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. And today I'm joined by Susanna Larkin, who who knows some of the secrets about showing emotion in characters in order to evoke emotions in the reader. And I know that you are a novelist, a copy editor, a writing coach, and you also teach uh, workshops on the writing craft. So welcome to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, Susanna. Thank you for having me. I uh, I did a bit of stalking on the internet, Susanna. <laughs> okay. And I, and I saw that you, I saw that you live in in California near San Francisco, but maybe you can tell us a, just a bit more about yourself. Uh, sure. Yeah, I live uh, south of San Francisco in California, um, and I was born and raised in California. But uh, I've been writing pretty much my whole life. I was raised by a mother who was a top television screenwriter, and then. Um, my brother also went into that profession. So I um, was around a lot of filming and reading scripts and movies and all that kind of stuff. So my early introduction, aside from reading books on my own, was to read a lot of screenplays. So I have a different type of attitude or approach toward fiction writing sometimes than others because I think very cinematically and I think in terms of camera shots and um, just uh, – very cinematic uh, visualization of my scenes. And I try to teach that method through a lot of my books and my blog posts. Um, I think the emotion topic is one that's really important. It's not discussed much. There isn't much out there. When I started researching online about that, I wanted to put something together because I feel of all the things that are tied in with reading and writing is the idea that we have an emotional response to what we read. And so all my life I've been reading and and writing and loving books and wanting to figure out how I can move readers with my writing. So as far as, you know, that's kind of my whole upbringing in terms of my approach to writing and and reading. Um, I also, I'm married. I have a couple grown kids. Uh, I have a couple grandkids actually. And I have Mm -hmm. a dog who is old and needs a lot of attention, big fat lab and I have a few cats um I love to backpack and snowboard I'm a real outdoorsy kind of person um I also am the uh, yeah I was gonna say I'm also the fiction coordinator for the prestigious San Francisco Writers Conference which is a top writers conference in America so I put that whole thing together every year and that's super fun Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, it was funny you you're talking about um, the out outdoorsy type of person and whatnot. Because Autumn, my co-host here, she she does a lot of uh, of traveling around as well and and, and seeing nature and all that. So uh, that's something I'm I'm sometimes quite envious when I see her pictures or she posts on on Facebook because I live in Denmark and here it's just flat. <laughs> we don't have any mountains or any nice nice nature like that. So yeah, it, it, there's some very beautiful areas around uh, in the U.S. Yeah, I, I would think that Denmark would have some beautiful places too. I haven't been there, but I would love to go. Uh, I don't get out of my cage very often. 
So, um, you know, maybe one day I'll get over there. One, you know, one thing about writing fantasy too, since, you know, this is what your podcast is about. I really think it's important for writers to get out in nature and to just sort of explore the world with wonder because all the fantasy writing fantasy and creating fantasy worlds requires so much imagination and an immersion of our senses that I think sometimes if we're just locked up in an office space or bedroom or wherever we work all the time, it's really hard for us to get in touch with that wonder and the imagination, you know, that comes from exploring the world outside. So I don't, that's just a thought that kind of popped into my head, but I know that for me, a lot of the inspiration for my fantasy books came from my time in nature, especially in the woods, like being alone in the woods, backpacking, um, grew up on fairy tales, which many of them were set in your part of the world, <laughs> in Europe, uh, you know, where most of the fairy tales are about little cottages in the woods and there's like magic woods. And so because I'm a fairy tale writer, I really need to get into nature and you know, feel that experience at the smells, the sounds, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. There's also something about just the fact that when you're out outside, you know, moving, moving around uh, and of course some, some good scenery will help, but, but just the, just the, uh, the fact that you're walking about and, and uh, get some, you know, wind in your face and whatnot, that, that yeah. actually helps in, on creativity as well in my, in my view. Yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But uh, so Susanna, I know that you run the LiveWriteThrive.com website uh, where you also actually have a course on showing character emotions. Uh, and that was really a topic that caught my eye. And because basically we haven't really covered, you know, character emotions and how to show it and how to get em evoke emotions in, in the reader as well here on the podcast before. So I, I am really so glad that you agreed to come on for a conversation about the, this particular topic here. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. As I mentioned, um, a lot of times when I write a book, I have about 10 nonfiction books, writing craft books in my Writer's Toolbox series on novel writing mostly. I think all of them are about novel, novel writing except Crank It Out, which is just about writing in general. But usually I get the idea for a book or a course because I can't find enough information out there you know, on the internet mm. or out in the ether uh, to um, really be instructive and deep for writers. Emotion is a, is a really good example because if you search online for information on how to evoke emotions and characters, how to show emotion, how to get readers to feel emotion, there's almost nothing out there. So it got me thinking about how I react to reading, what, what moves me when I read a book. And I spent you know, quite a few weeks just exploring my own feelings and, and, and um, thinking about the books that move me, the scenes that move me, going back to chapters that I know would make me cry and trying to analyze why I felt the way I felt or how the writer was able to accomplish that. It was like magic to me. And I talk about that a lot in my course, which is called Emotional Mastery for Fiction Writers, because the whole idea is we want to capture that technique, that skill. And Hemingway said it best when he said that when you read something that moves you emotionally, study how it was done, study how that writer did it, then you copy it and you do it yourself so that you can create the same effect in your readers. Mm. Now, that sounds a lot easier said than done, and it is, but in the same sense, it's really not that hard, because if you can tap into what moves you emotionally, generally, we all 
are affected in pretty much the same ways. In other words, if something moves me in a big way, something I read, no doubt it's going to move a lot of other people. It's not going to move everybody. Some people just aren't moved at all. They can read something that just everyone's sobbing away in a, in a room or, or even at a movie, for instance. You know, you could go to a movie and there's like a really emotionally moving scene and everybody's, you know, teared up. And there's always going to be a few people that go, eh, whatever. And they're just not moved <laughs> at all. So um, you're not going to please everybody. But the idea is that there are universal feelings, right? There are universal emotions that we all share. There's universal responses that we share. Um, you know, growing up in the film industry, you know, there was always this uh, unwritten rule, or maybe it was written, I don't know. I think people break it now. But in the good old days, when there were morals and ethics to things, um, the rule was you never hurt or killed a child or an animal in a movie or a TV show, mm. because people mm. got really mad, right? You don't kill a child, you don't, you know, hurt a child. I mean, you might, you might imply that a child's being hurt and then the good guys go stop the bad guys from doing that. But um, you never, you know, show a child die or an animal die. Uh, and that rule is broken sometimes, but you get why. I mean, it's because it's so yeah. upsetting to most people that we yeah. all in general, society in general, we react emotionally to certain things that we, um, you know, that we share those feelings. So that's part of the approach to becoming an emotional master in your fiction writing is if you mine your own feelings, you mine them, go deep into your own feelings and you analyze what moves you and how it moves you, then you can copy what the writer did uh, in a basic sense, you know, not word for word, but see what the writer did and how it moved you. And then you try to do that yourself. So in my course, I use about 40 different passages from different genres of different novels. And I go through these passages, we read them and analyze them, break them down. And one of the main teaching techniques that I always emphasize, regardless of what I'm teaching, is for writers to grab bestseller books in their genre and tear them apart. You know, get the highlighter pen out. If you don't want to use an ebook and highlight on your Kindle or whatever, I just say, go to a used bookstore, find a whole bunch of old cheap paperbacks and get some highlighter pens out and mark things up. Mark up the lines that move you, that move you emotionally. Line, mark up the lines that show emotion in the characters. So there's two types of elements we're talking about here. We're talking about showing emotion in characters and then you know, evoking emotion in readers. So those are two completely different things. And most of the time, the emotion that the character is showing is not the emotion you want the reader to feel, right? You might have a character that is showing, you know, despair because she's, you know, been thrown by the wayside, uh, a child that's been left abandoned or something, and that child is feeling despair. But you want your reader to be angry, or you might want your reader to be outraged or uh, scared for that child, you know, and a lot of times emotions are very complex. So you don't want to just sit down and name an emotion, go, oh, I want my character to feel scared. And so I'm going to say she's scared. Emotions are so complex <laughs> that this is why it's so important to do what Hemingway said, which was to look at how the writer wrote a passage and then look at how you're feeling. A lot of times you can't name what you're feeling. You know, so our feelings are very difficult to pinpoint and to understand, and they're usually very layered. We might be angry on the surface, but underneath we're hurt or we're scared. Anger usually masks other emotions. So there's a lot to learn about the emotional landscape of ourselves and of our characters. And um, one other thing that I talk about at length extensively um, in the course is that 
emotions um, can be shown lots of different ways in characters, but there's effective ways and there's not so effective ways. Mm. So when we read passages where, where a character is doing all this body language, you know, their throat is clenched and tears are pouring out and they're gasping and they're moaning and their heart is pounding in their chest and their palms are sweaty. Yeah. I mean, it goes on and on and on after a while that stuff gets really tedious and it ends up being counter effective. You know, it, it, instead of making a reader feel emotion, they just, well, the emotion they feel is irritated, <laughs> but not the emotion that the writer was hoping for. So the idea is that um, you need to learn these tools and skills of how to show emotion in characters. There's, um, they're showing emotion by body language, right? Like I just mentioned, clenching fish or whatever. And there's also um, the emotion that your point of view character notices in other characters. So there's a different emotional um, palette that's being put together here in a scene. So we don't just see the character, the point of view character emoting by their body language, but we also, they're also noticing what other characters are feeling or, and they're assuming what those emotions are too. So you have that kind of dynamic going on. Um, you can also tell emotions and it can be very effective. I have a module that's all about how you can effectively tell an emotion or name an emotion. There's nothing wrong with a character saying, I am scared, um, but it has to be in the right moment and it has to be fit the character. Cause I'll yeah. tell you just honestly, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that aren't in touch with their emotions and, you know, I don't mean to be sexist or anything, but you know, guys have like struggles a lot of times with naming their emotions. You know, they're not going to be some guys, I should say, are not going to be quick to saying, gee, you know, I really am jealous and I'm not just jealous, mm. but I'm kind of hurt right now. You know, they're not yeah, going to yeah. just come out and say that in a conversation you know, maybe I have an example of a little passage I wrote with a friend that might come over to a guy saying, hey, you're really jealous. I can tell, you know, and and then he says, yeah, sure, I'm jealous. You know, you'd be jealous, too. You know, so I mean, that's more that feels more believable than having a typical person, male or female, just sit there and go, gee, I am feeling really jealous right now. And I think I'm also feeling hurt. You know, I mean, for the most part, we don't sit and stop and psychoanalyze ourselves, especially in the middle of action. Right. Yeah, indeed. But but there's also a huge difference between. I mean, the, the, what you just said, uh, I, I fully agree with. But in, if if the character is saying in as part of dialogue that I'm feeling hurt or I'm angry or whatever, that is perfectly fine. Um, but there is a, a huge difference between doing that as part of the dialogue versus you as the author telling the reader, "Now this guy is angry." You know exactly. That, That's, exactly. that's just not work very well. <laughs> right. And and the other thing that's important to tie in with what you just said is that when we're writing in deep point of view, writers don't realize that the entire scene is in that character's mind and voice. So when you're writing a scene in deep point of view, all the narrative, every word, every line has to sound like the character. It's exactly the character's thoughts, whether you're in first person or third person. So, you know, if a character is going, if you're going to say in the, in the, in the running text, um, Joan was angry, that is really her thought at that moment. It has to feel like she's, you know, realizing that she's angry. Um, I don't know how better to put it, but there are exact, there are examples that I use to show how to do that well. Um, so in addition to showing bodily emotion or physical tells to indicate emotion, And the, and here's another thing that the 
character himself may not really be aware of the physical tells that he's displaying and what emotions that means. For instance, you can mm-hmm. have a character in talking to somebody and he's, he, he's, his clen- fists are clenched. Okay. So we see that as the reader and he's aware of it because you're in his point of view. So you can't really show anything that he's doing in his body if he's not aware of it. Right. Like you can't say he didn't realize it, but his fists were clenched. You know, obviously yeah. he has to know his fists are clenched, but we don't, he might not know why his fists are clenched. You know, he might be clenching his fists, but the reader can get a sense of what's going on with him and make those assumptions of what kind of emotion is being shown. But if I just show my fist clenched, you don't have any idea what that impetus is. You know, what's behind that, right? Uh, you can yeah, kind of guess. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and and there is also some some part of denial in this. You know, is especially the anger element comes into mind again here. You know that somebody, you know, maybe he has that clenched fist, uh, but and then somebody will tell him that that you're angry, and then he will be like, "I'm not angry," you know. Right. And that 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 sort of denial element is is also there, and I think that can work quite effectively as well. Yes. And so there's three basic ways that you can convey emotion in your characters. And I mentioned two of them. One is the physical tells, and then one is actually telling the emotion, naming the emotion. But the best and most effective way to show emotion, and I reiterate this over and over and over with many, many passage examples, is by using the character's thoughts. You can in, you can write an entire scene that is so emotionally riveting and makes your readers just anguished and you only show what their character is thinking and you never once show their heart pounding or tears coming to their eyes or sighing or moaning or groaning or anything else physical the thoughts are the most powerful way that we can convey emotion and they're the they're the best way because they generate all those complex emotional feelings that we can't name. So when you have a character that's thinking about how they did something long ago and because of it, somebody was hurt, you know, maybe they forgot to pick up their kid from school or whatever. And then the child, you know, got kidnapped. I mean, whatever. Um, When you go through the thought process with the character, the reader starts feeling all these emotions because they're they're visualizing what's being said. They're putting themselves in that character's shoes. And um, it's the experience that creates the emotion. So if I'm reading about a character that's going through something and I'm hearing what they're thinking, I start going through that with them. And that's where the empathy, you know, connects where between reader and writer and character. So, um, You can use all three, and I give lots of examples of passages. You know, we highlight these different passages, and you can see, and you can do this too, again, with those paperback books that you pick up from your friendly used bookstore, just to um, highlight in one color, for instance, all the examples or tells of body language that are in the scene. You know, so anytime a character, you know, throat gets tight or, you know, they... um, they sigh, you can highlight that and you can see how often that's being used by this particular writer. Maybe this is a best-selling writer in your genre and you want to write the way they write. So this is how you can kind of get a feel for the distribution of these different lines and phrases and even words that can convey emotion. So you have that, then you might have an instance where the character might name his emotion at the moment. It doesn't happen very often. It's very rare, but it is useful and it's good to know how to do it and when. But then when you look at the thoughts and you start highlighting in a different color, all the thoughts that 
evoke emotion in you as a reader, all the thoughts that imply the unemotional feeling in the character, all of a sudden you start seeing this emotional landscape start coming to life. And it's really fantastic. It's a great exercise to do. Just grab one of your favorite books and just start highlighting, especially the thoughts, what the character is thinking that makes you feel something and makes and shows that they're feeling something. Um, even just a word or a phrase can do that. And um, I think a, a lot of times writers, especially beginning writers, don't understand the power of thoughts. They, they feel that they must write uh, at least every other line has to be some sort of body language to imply emotion. But, uh, you know, honestly, yeah. you don't need barely any of it. I like to throw in a few things here and there because I feel it's it helps punch home an emotional feeling. But, um, you, you know, try as an exercise, just try writing a scene without using any of that but using thoughts and seeing how much emotion you can convey from your character via that character's thoughts and also how much emotion you can, you know, affect into, in your reader or in yourself as you're writing. Um, it, it's a really eye-opening exercise. Mm. Do you have any thoughts around uh, how much or how little you should try to, you know, use the three different ones uh, or, or do you think it really doesn't matter? It, it completely depends on how you want to write or, or am I hearing that you're saying you should be most focusing on conveying emotions with the thoughts and then maybe sprinkle in a bit of the other ones or, or how, how do you see that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, exactly. I think you should rely mostly on thoughts, but again, what you want to do is grab those best-selling novels that you love. I mean, I have a, my favorite fantasy writer is Patricia McKillop and I, I just, she's just the most amazing writer in the world to me. And for years I've tried to copy how she writes, you know, my dream when I grow up is to be like her. Right. So, um, mm -hmm. But I study her books. I tear them apart. I look at the language and the imagery, and I think about how I feel emotionally as I react to her writing and her characters. And so for me, when I was writing my seven-book fantasy series, I would always go back to her books and just study them. And I would make lists and lists of like her phrases, not because I wanted to take her phrases and put them in my books, but I wanted to just study how she put those together so that I could copy the idea and get the same effect. It's just, it really is helpful to, you know, if you've got those writers that you love and you want to have your book stand up right next to their books to do this type of exercise, because maybe like, for instance, if you're writing romance and maybe it's a fantasy romance, but romance will usually show a lot more body language for emotion. And it will also be packed with a lot of thoughts that generate emotion, you know. And so um, if you're writing a suspense thriller, you may go pages without any line at all that shows any emotion. You just might have a lot of action. Now, mm -hmm. if the action yeah. also implies emotion, you know, if, you know, if a person, you know, hears something behind a door, kicks in the door and runs over to somebody and grabs them by the throat and throttles them, you can guess that that person is feeling some sort of emotion. You don't have to hear their thoughts. You don't have to know that their fists are clenched or that their anger is welling up in their gut or their heart is pounding hard in their chest. You can just watch the action and you can tell. So keep that in mind that action is a great way to show emotion. And so a lot of times you can just show what's going on in a scene between characters and you don't have to even get into the thoughts. You don't have to get into the body physical tells, um, you know, that, tell 
the character or the reader that there's a specific emotion that's being experienced. So, you know, again, when you're reading through these books, when you're studying these bestsellers, look for those, look for those bits of action that show some very specific emotion. Uh, you'll be amazed at what you find. Uh, it's at first, you know, sometimes readers say, well, I don't see anything. I'm not seeing any physical tells and I'm not really seeing any action. And then they start digging in deeper and they pull back and think, okay, what actually happened on this page? Um, if it's boring writing, you know, then you might not see anything that's, that's really <laughs> tapping into emotion. Because to me, if you don't, if you don't show characters feeling inner conflict, because it's really all about conflict, you know, when we feel emotion, we're conflicted about something. And if we can't get our readers to feel some sort of emotion, then obviously we're failing. There's something that's just not coming across. That tends to happen when we have scenes that are very predictable, boring, ordinary, on the nose type of scenes where the characters are sitting around eating. You might be in a fantasy book. Okay. So they're in the woods and they're sitting around the, by the campfire and they're talking about, you know, that they're going to cook tomatoes or whatever it was that, um, Sam and, uh, and uh, Mary and Frodo. were doing, yeah, they were doing up on, on Weathertop or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, if that scene was just about, you know, here, have some cooked tomatoes, then, you know, it would be really boring. There wouldn't be any emotion. But instead, we see Frodo freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? You made a fire. Don't do that. And all of a sudden, the the Black Riders come and there's a big, you know, attack. And, you know, that was packed full of emotion. So, mm. the, you know, the, the action, is, you know, it needs to be evoking that emotion or evoking that tension, creating tension between characters, inner conflict, you know, inside a character, all of those different elements. So, um, yeah, this is yeah. covering a lot of stuff, but, you yeah, know. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. But, but I, th I also think that there is an important point around that action part because it, it's not, it depends on, depending on what happens in the particular scene. But if, if you are in the middle of some sort of action sequence, maybe the characters are fighting or whatever they are doing, I mean, I think there it's also important as the writer not to get too much into uh, the, uh, okay, I should show emotions by thought because in the middle of the fight, the character will not start thinking about what, how they feel about it. They, they'll just right. do stuff. So, yeah. so, so there is also that element to be mindful about that you don't start showing the character thinking about emotions in, in situations where that just is not natural to do. Right. Yeah. There's usually like visceral uh, brief thoughts that might pop in when somebody grabs you from behind or smacks you in the face, like, ouch, yeah. you know, that hurt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have a, um, I have a module on my course, which is, you can see it for free too. So if anybody's listening to this and they want to just go pop over to my online school and just watch a 38 minute free module. You can do that by just scrolling down and clicking on the preview. And I put this module up for free because it's one of the most important things that I teach that I never have heard anybody else teach about, but it's, I find it really essential and it's very eye opening for a lot of writers. And it's basically what I call the action reaction cycle. Um, what that entails to me is that, Everything we do all day long is done in this cycle, right? Something happens or we do something and then there's a reaction. So you have an action, then a reaction. But what follows the reaction is the processing of that reaction. Okay, so uh, I give the example of let's say there's um, your character is in the kitchen and she hears a crash. Okay, so that's the action. 
her immediate visceral reaction is, oh no, what was that? Right. So there's always, there's two parts to reaction. One is the immediate visceral reaction, which, you know, you might get that in a high action scene with like fighting scene, like we were just talking about, where there's only time for the visceral. There's only time for that immediate quick action because quickly you have to make a decision and move on to another action. So, um, so the character hears the vase fall over a crash goes, Oh no, what is that? That's the first initial reaction. And then she runs into the room and she sees the cat has knocked the vase over from the table onto her laptop and all the water is just pouring all over the laptop. Okay. So now there's an extended reaction, right? Mm-hmm. The character is like, Oh my gosh, my laptop. Oh, you stupid cat. You know, so maybe whatever they're thinking, but this reaction now is more extensive because she's taking in the situation and that's leading to emotion, right? So first she's shocked maybe or a little bit startled by the sound. And then when she sees what really happened, now she's feeling more emotions, uh, conflicted emotions. She's upset. She's angry. She's freaking out because her dissertation is on there and that she hasn't backed it up to the cloud, right? So there's all these emotions going on. So you have action reaction. And then after the reaction, you have the processing. So, Processing can take a second or it could take three weeks. It could take, you know, an hour. It really depends on the situation. Um, For instance, like a detective can find a clue and then the whole next chapter can be processing. Okay, what does that clue mean? What, you know, now we understand that, you know, Joe is actually in the, in the bar and he wasn't at the hotel, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's all this processing that goes with that. So after the processing comes a decision. What am I going to do now with what I just processed? In the case of our character whose laptop is wet, she's going to act really quickly after that reaction. She's going to swoop down, grab her laptop, shake it out, grab a towel, wipe it off, all the while swearing at her cat. And her thoughts are going to be spinning like, oh, my gosh, my dissertation. And if I have to write this again, I'm going to fail, blah, blah, blah. So there's all these thoughts that are going on, which is part of the processing. Um, And then, um, of course, then there's going to be a decision that comes after that. You know, part of the decision in response to the reaction was grabbing the laptop and wiping it off, of course. So that's just, a again, a visceral decision. But there's usually going to be a more um, extended decision that happens. Like, what do I do now? I've You know, if I've lost my dissertation, now what? Now I'm going to be processing this and having to make a decision, and that decision leads to new action. So it's sort of a five-prong step. You have action, reaction, process, decision, new action. And if you're writing a high action type scene, like a fight scene, you've got like, you know, some dwarves run into some elves in the forest and they start fighting each other. You know, your main character is, you know, trying to, you know, you know, push away all these, you know, horrible creatures and, you know, kill a few and run away, escape. That action reaction decision thing is going to happen very, very quickly, like in seconds after seconds after seconds, right? Your character isn't going to like smash somebody with a sword and then sit down and think for five minutes, gee, I wonder what I should do next, (laughs) right? Um, (laughs) Yeah, but there's other times when you have a low energy scene, right, where your characters are sitting around talking or they're walking down the road and they are processing, like, what are we going to do now? Where are we going to go? Well, if we go here, you know, it's going to take five more days and we don't have time. This is going to happen. You know, you need to have those low energy scenes where your characters are talking and they're processing and they're thinking, but that's going to lead to a decision. Okay, so now what do we do? Let's go here. Okay, let's go do it.
and you know whatever happens will happen and then your scene ends so you can have scenes um a scene in itself could have this process many, 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 many times, or a scene could be all action and even end in action. You know, you can have a fight scene and some guy just falls off the side of a cliff and that's how the scene ends. Or you can end with your character, your point of view character reacting, uh, where the, his friend falls off the cliff and he goes, Oh man, dude, better you than me. And just the scene ends right there. You know, um, we see this in a lot of suspense where, the scene ends with a, a visceral reaction. You know, the character finds yeah. the dead body. Um, I mean, it might just end in action. Like the character just finds the dead body and we don't see reaction, but for more emotional punch, you'll notice that really good writers will end a suspense scene with a tiny bit of reaction. You know, the character sees the dead body and gasps, you know, yeah. Oh my God. That's George. Yeah, because, and then you <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Because you're also playing on, on because, I mean, as writers, we're thinking about this stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, as writers, we're thinking about how, how do humans actually react and, and, and you're breaking it down nicely in these different uh, sort of faces or whatever we want to call it. But, but for, for the reader who doesn't think about these things, they will just pick up on maybe you know so subconsciously they'll know okay there's gonna be some sort of uh, further reaction to this because it right. leaves in a strange place so to speak the the chapter cuts in a strange place so so they will be very inclined to read on just to, because they just know that there's going to be more let's say emotional impact for, from what just happened right so so that's sort of what you're what you're playing at there i think yeah and also as i mentioned um in that example that you know like let's say there's an avalanche and this guy sees his friend, you know, go off the cliff and the avalanche is going on. I end the scene right there. If the next scene shows him barreling down the mountain in his car, we, the, the decision is implied, right? He made a decision. I'm going to get the heck out of here before I die mm. next. Right. You don't have mm. to have the character sit there and go, gee, I better leave the mountain because maybe I'm going to fall in a hole too. You know, if the mountain is falling apart. So, um, you might not show the processing and decision, but you'll show the effects or the results of the processing and the decision, right? So um, that's, you know, what happens is if readers read a scene and one of those stages is missing, whether it's implicit or explicit, you are going to, they're going to, they're going to feel that something's off. And this is what happens with a lot of the manuscripts. I critique about 200 manuscripts a year. So I see this a lot, especially with the beginning writers where they're going to show a scene, you know, somebody runs in and says, George, your, your mother was just hit by a car outside. Um, and George goes, Oh no, what am I going to do? I mean, how am I going to live? I, I don't have somebody to, earn a living and buy me food. It's like, what? You know, it's like, that's not how you're going to react. I mean, right. No, It's not believable. So we want to have our characters to act believably. So you have to put yourself in your shoes, in their shoes. If you had somebody run in and say, you know, Oh my gosh, your your brother or your mother or your best friend or your kid was just hit by a car. What is your reaction going to be? Your immediate visceral reaction is just going to be this, you're probably going to freak out. <laughs> well, you're going to be like slammed with the shock of it. And you might feel, you're going to feel some body emotion. You might like all of a sudden your, your breath might get caught in your chest or you might gasp, right? Um, mm. You might get dizzy, whatever. You might fall down. I mean, a lot of, if you just even say to somebody, it's a mean trick, but if you say to somebody, um, you better sit down, I have some bad news for you. They will physically feel ill. 
they will fall down or fall into a chair if you if you're a good actor, right? I mean, it would mm. be it would be mean to say that to somebody, but this is how we this is how our bodies react in that fight or flight adrenaline releasing hormone reacting, you know, physiology that we have as bodies, as human bodies. So um, we have to remember that our characters need to have those type of bodies too. So if somebody is going to come running into the room and say, Hey, you know, your mom was just hit by a car uh, and then they run back out, your, your character has to, you know, immediately register some sort of shock, some visceral reaction. And then of course they're going to go run outside and, and their thoughts are going to start, you know, running through their head. What kind of thoughts will those be? You know, they're definitely not going to be planning like what I'm going to do next year. If I don't have my mom earning a living and how am I going to get kicked out of my house? I mean, that might come three weeks later, but it's not going to come right now. So, um, yeah, yeah so. I, I agree. And and I think part of why that probably happens sometimes in, in the writing is because, the writer knows what story is supposed to be told here. So, so therefore, uh, you you quickly jump to, okay, I need him to talk about how am I going to live now because that's the sort of the next hurdle that he's going to be hit by in, in this story here. So I need to start telling the reader that this is a huge issue. So therefore, I'm jumping to that. But whereas I think that the main point here is also to say that, you know, all those emotional faces that they have to go through. And if you really put yourselves in the character's shoes and uh, like you just said, and then what would you feel like if it happened to you? That That is also the story, you know? So we need to be careful. We don't get too plot driven here. And then we remember to to know that the, the emotions that the characters are feeling, that's what the readers will connect to. And the character is the story. Yeah. I talk about too, how to create beats because, um, one of the main things that that happens with beginning writers is they can see the scene in their head, kind of like what you're talking about, and they they know what it's supposed to feel like and sound like, and so they'll do like rapid fire dialogue where the character is saying something and the next character is saying something back, and they're going back and forth and back and forth. But there's moments where th- certain things are being said that are unexpected or shocking or upsetting, and if you don't stop and give a beat, like have the character pause and process. Again, this is part of that action reaction cycle. You know, I can just be talking casually with you, but if you say something to me right now that uh, I I didn't expect and that can affect me is important or can affect me emotionally, I'm going to need to take a beat. I'm going to have to stop and process that. Mm. And so the way that we do that in our writing is we we have the character pause. We have the character stop and process and think. You know, a thought will come in, a reaction will come in. Uh, there's lots of different techniques that you can use to slow down a scene. One of the techniques I like to use is to have a character notice little things and good writers do this very well. Little details. They might hear a clock ticking in the background or they might notice the bottom of their pants leg is frayed. Um, when we start noticing little things around us, it slows down time and it, or stretches out time, however you want to think of it. And it helps to create that beat, that moment to let the character react and respond to what was just said or done. But also you need to let the reader do that. And and one of the, one of the basic ways we do that as writers is we do a scene break or we do it, we end a chapter, right? That's why I was saying that suspense authors often will end uh, a scene of high action with a big action moment or 
a visceral reaction to that moment and end it really quickly. And then there's a next, never, then there's a new chapter. And the purpose for that is that it gives the reader a chance to go, oh, okay, uh, and process that. I mean, oftentimes at the end of a chapter, if it's a great chapter, you know, we'll stop and not just start reading the next chapter. We'll kind of take a breath or get up and get a drink of water or something because we need, we need the moment to sink in. So as writers, we want to always write our scenes to build to a high moment. The high moment should come at the end, at the very last line or the last paragraph. And that high moment should pack a punch, whether it's an emotional punch or reveal a clue or move the plot forward in some way. But you want to end with that emotional punch at the end of your chapter, because then you're created, you're creating a beat. You're creating a, a way for the reader to breathe, to process, to absorb what they just read, get them ready to move into the next scene. And again, you can do it with a scene break too. You don't always have to, you know, have a chapter end, but you can have multiple scenes in a chapter, but you want to aim for that with every scene you write, you want it to build to that high moment. And then you want to stop it right there and give the reader a chance to react. And that's part of manipulating your readers so that they'll feel the emotions that you want them to feel. Yeah, and that's why I think it's important what you talked about a bit earlier as well with the, with the uh, what should we call them like campfire scenes or you know the 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 more slow scenes those are important because if you're writing let's say a 300 page fantasy novel and every single chapter is this high intense stuff all the time right. i think most most readers will get pretty tired before they at the end of those 300 pages and they probably will not enjoy it that much so you you need some of the slow pacing in between just to take get, also give the reader a bit of breathing room here and there i think that's important yeah it's really good to alternate and again this is all part of that action reaction cycle because if you have a lot of action going on at some point the characters need to process which just happened and um, as I said in a mystery you might have a whole chapter where the characters the detectives are talking or whatever and uh, but in a fantasy you know it might just be a page it really just depends on your writing style and it depends on your plot um, there's nothing wrong with having lots and lots and lots of great action in a fantasy novel or any novel, but the readers aren't going to get engaged with the characters unless you can really get into their thoughts and into their inner conflict, you know, to show what they're struggling with. If our characters aren't struggling, you know, if they're not vulnerable, if they're not, you know, having, um, doubts, if they're not, um, you know, finding the journey hard, other than just, you know, I can't climb the mountain fast enough. Um, it's just not going to have enough meaning for the reader. You know, we want, we, we like to go on those heroes journeys and those heroes journeys are all about uh, the internal journey, not so much the external journey. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, in previous episodes, we've actually talked uh, about the character arc as well and how, how it's incredibly important that, that both there is like a, a meaning behind why the character is, is feeling the way that they're feeling. So it's not just because uh, they were slapped in the face and now they're feeling angry or something, you know, that there needs to be some sort of underlying driver that, that also links in with the character arc to, to how they're going to transform over the course of the story. And then you right. use all of these different, elements uh, to to basically push them towards that transformation um, so right. and I, I do think that that's important that that you give with everything basically that that you have some sort of reason for why things are happening uh, and it's not just uh, because you I mean of course you in order to give all that suspense and and that bad things needs to happen and it has to be difficult for the character but it should not be 
random bad things just to show that the character is struggling and and they're feeling you know emotions so that you can the reader can connect to that but if if the reader cannot see that there's some sort of purpose and we're going somewhere with all of this then it becomes a bit like yeah <laughs> right i always call i always liken it to a string of scenes if you have a character that just has ups and downs and has a good day and a bad day and things just keep happening to them but there's no overarching purpose there's no plot goal that they're striving for there's no passion toward a goal then um it's just kind of meaningless it just feels like the character's yeah. just wandering around i write a lot about that in my other books too um so yeah it just i just feel that um Becoming an emotional or motion master in your fiction writing is one of the most important skills that you can learn, but nobody teaches it and nobody really talks about it. And so I, I hope that, you know, by giving, and this course is six and a half hours of video, but I also have about 40 different assignments that I give out that you can download, which I think is really cool because what I'm hearing back from writers, I've got hundreds and hundreds of writers now that are taking this course or have already taken it since I launched it September 1st. I, um, I'm really excited to hear that they're enjoying doing these exercises. And part of these exercises, as I mentioned, is getting these books and marking them up and studying passages and analyzing how good writers do this. Because honestly, the only way that you can become great at anything is to emulate great people in that field. But, you know, if you're a painter, you know, you, people go to the Louvre and they set up their easels and they copy the masters. They try to paint exactly like them, not so they can copycat, but so they can learn the technique, they can learn the skills, they can see what colors go well together and create what kind of effects. And we really need to do that with our writing. And I, I, I never heard anybody ever give me that advice for the decades that I was writing novels. Nobody ever said, go study these great novels and tear them apart, see what kind of words they use, sentence structure, paragraph structure, how long are the chapters, how much description do they use, what type of description. Um, when you study masterful writers, it's just amazing how incredible they write. As uh, Toni Morrison said, easy reading is hard writing. And that's so true. When we read a beautiful scene that just seems to just flow beautifully, like everything is just perfect in it. That was not an easy scene to write. And we all should know that if we've struggled writing great scenes, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, there's, there's scenes that I've read of, that I wrote years ago, you know, I'll go back to a book that I wrote and I'll read a scene out of my book and I'll just go, I can't believe I wrote that scene. It was like a fantastic scene. Where did that come from? You know, and, uh, and I'm just amazed that that somehow came out of me and I don't ever feel like, I did it. I always feel like somebody else wrote that scene through me somehow, but I know it's because of all the studying that I did. And I think that's how painting works or playing music or whatever. If you practice and practice and practice, my husband's a jazz sax player. So, you know, every night, like three hours hearing scales, right in my bedroom. Cause that's where our, his studio is set up because we have a tiny house. So, uh, you know, we get that, that you have to, when you practice and practice year after year and you get really good at something and, and same with writing, when you get really good at writing scenes and conveying characters and their emotions and describing them and bringing a scene to life, a lot of that can just start happening naturally. But at first it does take a lot of work. It takes, um, it takes intention. Like you can't just, just write and just write a lot. It's just sort of like giving, you know, giving a kid, a three-year-old kid, a big bag full of airplane parts and say, well, just keep putting them together and eventually you'll have a working airplane. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't work that way with writing. Writing practice is great. 
It's great to write every day. It's great to journal, whatever. And I, I highly encourage that. But you also have to write very deliberately. And that in, involves the studying of great writing and doing like what Hemingway said, study how other writers did this, and then you try to copy it so you can do it yourself and you can get the same results, right? So just like anything else. And I, I, like I said, I rarely ever hear writing instructors tell writers to do this, but this is the number one thing I think writers should do. They should, as part of their discipline or their writing practice, they should be you know, reading widely and not just reading, but studying what they're reading. Um, I've heard people say, yeah, you should read a lot of books. Great. Read books. It's fun to read books. But if you're not really paying attention, if you're just enjoying the book, which I like to do from time to time, just read a book for fun. Um, that's a different thing. But for the most part, when I read a book, I just tear it apart. You know, what's working? What's not? Why is this boring? Why do I hate this scene? <laughs> Um, yeah. It's good to know why you hate something. It's good to know why you don't like a scene. It's good to know why you're bored or why you don't care about a character. It's good to know why you halfway through the book, you just give up. What was the point? What was that tipping point for you that said, okay, forget it. I'm not going to waste any more time reading this book. That teaches you a lot and you should learn from it so that you don't do those same mistakes in your writing. Yeah, I think that's that's amazing. There, there's so much uh, jam-packed uh, good stuff in in this episode uh, here, Susanna. So thanks a lot for for that. And uh, I will also put a link in the show notes to the uh, LiveWriteThrive.com website, where I think people can. There is like a one free session or something of the course. Is that right? Well, that's my blog. Um, my online school is at cslaken.teachable.com. And that's my writing for that's my writing for life workshops online school. So I have my video courses on that. Um, so yeah, I'll send you the link, and then if you put that down there, that would be yes. good. And um, yeah, so I have a I have a handful of courses. I'm working on a new course right now on your cast of characters, which I'm really excited about because I'm going to be interviewing a dozen or so best-selling authors starting this week, um, doing video interviews with them to ask them, how do they come up with their characters? How many characters? Mm. How do they decide which characters they want? That's also another thing I've been trying to research online and I can't find any information on it. How do you know how to populate your story with how many characters and what are they, what are their roles? Uh, So it's a fascinating topic. Again, one that I just feel writers should know. And um, I'm excited to see what I'm going to learn in my exploration as I go through this. But yeah, so I hope, uh, I hope people will come check it out. And again, if you go to, cslaken.teachable.com and you click on the emotional mastery course, you can scroll down to the curriculum and you'll see the free preview. So if you want to just watch the one module for free on the action reaction cycle, do that. You don't have to commit or enroll or anything like that. Uh, If you like the course, take it. Uh, If you don't like the course after you pay for it, you get a full refund. So there's no commitment. It's like 30 day money back guarantee. So, um, but I, I do think that you'll learn a lot from it. And um, check out my other courses. I think I have free previews on all my other courses too. So if you see something else that you need to learn, like what your 10 key scenes are or your four foundational pillars are, I have courses on those things too um, based on my books. So um, I hope you check them out. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate being able to share all this information. And I I really love to help writers. And I love to see writers improve in their writing so they write great books. That's what matters. (laughs) Indeed, Jan. And thank you so much for joining us. So I hope you got a lot out of this, uh, dear listener. And there was a lot of good, good, good stuff in here. So uh, I will see you next Monday. And uh, then Autumn will be back uh, hosting with me. 
If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash AmWritingFantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.